This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Sustainable-ish podcast or welcome back to regular listeners. How are you doing? I really hope you're hanging on in there. There's not a lot else really I can say. (laughs) In this episode, I've got a ray of light for you, I hope, in the form of Sean Berry, co-leader of the Green Party. Now the Knackered Mums in the Knackered Mums Eco Club get to come along to listen in to the podcast recordings live and then ask a few questions of our guests at the end. And I loved this comment that popped up in our Facebook group afterwards which said, she was so human and encouraging and passionate and that gave me hope. So I hope that after listening to this you will all be feeling a little bit more hopeful too. Because I think it's pretty easy to feel disengaged from politics, isn't it? To feel like it's this big world of smoke and mirrors and that it's really difficult to effect change as an individual. It was really great to chat to Sean and to hear that this doesn't have to be the case. She gives us all lots of ideas for how to get involved as busy people and how we can have an impact on both local and national politics. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed recording it. Do share your thoughts with me on social media. I'm at Sustainable-ish pretty much everywhere. And please do leave a rating and review on your favourite podcast listening app. Enjoy. Hello, Sean. Welcome to Sustainable-ish. Hi, really nice to be here. Thanks so much for having me and looking forward to a, a nice chat, actually. it's going to be Yeah, this is going to be something a bit different as well. I think it's the first time we've kind of dived into politics and all things politics. Um, so let's kick off. Um, can you introduce yourself? Hello, um, I'm I'm Sean Berry, and I'm lots of different things, but all within green campaigning and politics. I'm co-leader of the Green Party of England and Wales at a national level. In London, I'm a London Assembly member, so there I sit and I hold the Mayor of London to account, and I'm standing for Mayor of London um, whenever we manage to finally get the election done. And then I'm also a local councillor for a for a ward in Camden Borough in London. Which is, which is called Highgate, and that's up in the north of Camden. So I have these different levels at which I work. Um, and previously, I used to work as a, a transport campaigner for, for lots of years, um, which was all around the country, supporting people trying to stop new roads being built and trying to improve bus services and get rail fares down, that sort of thing. Oh my God. And you've written loads of books as well, haven't you? Oh yeah, and I write books as well. <laughs> um, I've written quite a few little I've written lots of books of little tips of how to be green like 50 ways to to shop greener that kind of thing 
And then I wrote a book called Mend It, which was all about how to mend things around the house, which mm. is a very big issue at the moment. Yeah. Is like sewing and mending like electrical things that break and, yes. and upcycling as well. And then I did a whole book about upcycling which was essentially things I found on the street or in skips that I redid and, and made them look nice. And these, these are many of the things that are in my, my flat currently, is the things I made for that book. Amazing. And what's your current lockdown situation? We're all very locked down. I'm in London, so it's a very high level of alert. And um, we were hold, holding assembly me- meetings online from the start. Mm-hmm. Then we started to allow people back into City Hall, like so there'd be four of us in City Hall and the rest right. of us online. But we've stopped that now completely. Everybody is working from home, including the mayor. Okay. And have you, um, are you on your own? Have you got small juggling uh, homeschooling or anything like that? Or is it just... No, no. I live I live entirely on my own in this little roof. Um, and it's it's one room. I'm not going to show it you because it's a tip. Um, but it's, yeah, it's one room in the roof. Um, it's a very big room. It's the size of a flat. But even yeah. so, I don't get to shut the door on my work anymore. And that's that's hard. But there are no children running around or anything like that. So. Um, I'm both sort of not fortunate not to have children, but I'm fortunate that I can work and work and work. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and how I, are you finding it kind of being on your own all the time? Is that I guess those of us with kids are desperate to have some time on our own. And those of us yeah. who are on our own are probably desperate to have some company. How I is it for you? Whatever situation in you're in, it's all a bit much, isn't it? It's mm. like want some variety. So I'm yeah, I'm crying out for human company. Mm. Um, and it's so nice when you when you do go out to the shops, you know, I chat an awful lot more to my local shopkeepers than I used to. <laughs> um, and I think, yeah, whatever situation you're in, um, it's the the fact that it's always the same. You know, yeah. you're always at home with the kids or you're always at home on your own. The monotony of, of lockdown is what I think a lot of us are struggling with. There's no variety. Normally in my job, I'm going all over London. And yeah. I'm local campaigns who are trying to save trees or or their homes, or get something nice done, mm. or in space. Loads of interesting people to meet. And now I'm meeting lots of people, but on Zoom. Yeah, so, like, it's really nice to see faces. But again, it's it's out of context. I'm always just sitting in my flat when this happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, a different time for, well, yeah. I say different. It's kind of same, <laughs> same as, bit, bit the same as a bit of last year and kind of different. So what's your background? Have you always been into all things eco and green? Um, I mean, yes, I think so. Um, when I was at school, the big questions were things like the ozone hole mm. and the rainforests being cut down. And so, and then, and, and climate change wasn't as political then. Right. So I learned about climate change at school. It was obviously something that needed to be sorted out. I was never really political about it though, until after I left university, I wasn't, a, I wasn't one of those student politicians at mm. all. At the end of the day, I was reflecting on the fact that it was 10 years on and nothing was going, nothing was mm. happening. I could also see that things like excessive consumption and, and, and high amounts of like capitalism were really mm. a problem. So that turned me more political and made me more want to change things. Um, that's when I started to, to get involved in campaigns. And, and then the good thing about the Greens is if you get involved in campaigns, people spot you and say, Perhaps you'd like to stand to be elected, <laughs> and that, and we, you know, we're really encouraging to women in the party. You know, we are leaders. The people who are prominent in the party have always been women. So mm. Caroline Lucas, um, who's our MP, Jenny Jones, who's now in the Lords, who used to do my job in the London Assembly, both just sort of pushed me forwards and said, "Go, go and do this stuff." So I've, yeah, I've gradually become more involved, and now I do it full time. That's my job now. 
And you've done some amazing campaigns, haven't you? Talk to us about some of the campaigns you've done in the past. The first campaign I tried when I first became interested and I joined the Greens and started this campaign more or less at the same time um, was against those big four by fours that everyone was starting to buy Mm. in the early 2000s. And it struck me, and I'm talking to a mum's audience here, it struck me that I'd be quite a good influencer on my fellow sort of women mm-hmm. who were thinking, oh, I must buy one of these because they're safer and all of that. Mm. So I made a myth-busting fake parking ticket. That was my tactic. My campaign tactic was make something that looks like a parking ticket, put it on the cars, but they're actually, they were quite reasonable. They were jokey, but they were, they were quite reasonable. They had FAQs in that said, but it's safer. And I'd go, no, it's not. You might run over a child. <laughs> Um, and then they would say, oh, but, um, you know, climate change doesn't matter. I'm like, no, have you any idea how many extra emissions there are from bigger cars? So it was very sort of persuasive. And anyway, that got that got lots of attention. And I worked. And was that just something you were like, oh, I, I fancy doing this? Did you join in with yeah. another group or was it just like you as a sort of sole gorilla yeah, I, parking I, attendant? I came up with it and then I came up with the idea of printing some leaflets. And so I didn't have money or, you know, any kind of support network. So I actually did approach some greens some mm. people friends of the earth some people from greenpeace locally whose contact details i found went and met them in the pub and went here's my prototype shall we can we chip in Amazing. and print some of these and then they we printed up a batch of like i don't know 500 of them or something yeah we went out and did it did it we did the thing mm. of putting them on the windscreens of four by fours and that just got loads i mean we were in camden so we went around primrose hill and that obviously right. inadvertently meant that journalists we didn't realize that this right happen. journalists saw it and it was in the evening standard a couple of weeks later and that just kind of went whoosh and we were on every me and my my, my colleagues were, were called into virtually every tv program to have this debate and that was great because we what i what i wanted at the start was for there to be a debate about whether this was a good idea because it was the default we were slipping into in America. Everyone was buying SUVs. Mm. I wanted to to make people think first and think about the actual issues about pollution and, and road danger and and it's the that. same now with um, SUVs, isn't it? That I think they're, they're coming the first... back again. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm. If I wasn't doing this, I'd be restarting that campaign. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, I mean, it's so true. Um, I mean, where we're doing when when the kids were at school and um, now it, we do this sort of staggered drop off and pick up and everybody does a sort of stop and drop. And the teacher sort of jokingly said, you know, she can't tell all the cars apart because they all, you know, everybody's got the same type of car. They're all, there's been a big push from the manufacturers for them, hasn't there, for SUVs. And, and we've kind of almost, that whole pollution piece hasn't been... I, I don't think particularly talked about in terms of yeah. SUVs and things. The, the manufacturers have not covered themselves in glory because they, I mean, one of the, one of the issues is, is pollution and a lot mm. of them are diesel vehicles. And so they were causing an awful lot of pollution. And that was one of the big, I went on, I went on the Richard and Judy show <laughs> years ago. And one of the things I was saying was, no, they're all diesels. They're so polluting. And this is true. And the manufacturers did a really dodgy thing, which is they they cleaned up their vehicles, but they cleaned them up for the tests, mm. for how you drive them in the real world. And so there was this big scandal a few years ago where they'd been effectively cheating on their numbers. So they were saying these things were cleaner and giving all these reassurances in their adverts. And actually, in real life driving, they were putting out more pollution than ever. Mm. That's one of the reasons we have this big crisis in, in the cities now, is because people switched to diesels thinking they were cleaner and they mm. were not. 
So I'm really, you know, I was cross with the manufacturers from the start. Yes. I'm absolutely furious with them and I wouldn't trust them again. And obviously there's the other issues about them. The size of them, they take up more space in the parking spaces. Yes. They're higher. They're not actually safer for pedestrians or even for the people inside. And so I think, you know, if you're going to buy a car, you might need one for some journeys. So you might need to own one. You know, your duty at the moment under these issues of climate change and pollution is to to drive it as little as you can share lifts to school all of those kinds of things that automatically cut down on your driving but also choose the smallest cleanest car Mm. you don't necessarily believe the manufacturers when they say this giant vehicle is clean because it may well not be as clean as they're saying oh it's so frustrating as well that there seems to be so many layers of information that we have to wade through to try you know and and to to work out who to trust and who not to trust and and I guess that's a whole other conversation about fake news and all that kind of thing isn't it one of the things we campaigned for was to get um really bold clear information put onto adverts saying Mm. what the actual pollution of vehicles was yes I mean you get the energy certificates on your Mm. fridge like this is a (laughs) and you you can see that in the showroom when you go to buy a car right it's not shown on the adverts we, we managed to get information onto the adverts through some legal action we took but it's there in like really small print along the yeah. bottom you barely notice it and what we wanted to get was something much clearer a big sign that said this is a this is a d car actually mm, yeah <laughs> and with that campaign it sounds like you got a lot of as you say a lot of sort of media attention and things like that did you you know, in the process of ticketing these cars, engage in any conversations with the people who owned them and things? And what was their reaction like? Well, I mean, that was the whole point. Mm. So, yeah, you'd get a lot of people come up and say, what, what's this? Mm. What's saying? And we go, we're saying this. It's being perfectly reasonable. Um, have you really thought about it before you bought this car? When you buy your next car, why don't you change? Mm, yeah. Um, obviously, the media attention, a lot of it was debates like that. You know, good, good sort of phone-ins with people. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, to get that, to get people to just think a yeah. bit more is the goal there. And we had some successes. I mean, they changed the tax you pay on a car so that if it's more polluting, you pay more now at the beginning when you mm. buy the car. And we, we won the change on the advertising, like I said. We won a higher congestion charge for London off Ken Livingston, which mm. was such a victory. Yeah. And the thing, the exact thing that the, the current mayor has brought in last um, ooh, year and a half ago, the T the charge, the extra congestion charge, if you've got a highly polluting vehicle. But Ken Livingstone was going to introduce that in 2008, but he lost the election. Boris Johnson won the election and promptly cancelled it. Oh, which, okay. Yeah, I've got, I've got long-standing beef with Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that this campaign started at a, a similar time to when you joined the Green Party. So did you just join the Green Party as a, you know, a regular member with an online direct debit or whatever? And then how did, how did you go from doing that to being co-leader of the party like I'm sure there's lots of steps in between but how does how did you become because it's one thing to sign up isn't it and to to pay a a direct debit to be a member and to get the emails and things it's another thing to actually kind of become involved how did that work yeah so I I did exactly that I just sat down I decided I was going to do more you know Mm. I I sort of reflected on my life and decided I was going to do more so I signed up for direct debits to like Greenpeace and and Mm. and joined the Green Party as as a member and you know, members like that are so valuable to, to the party. We want people to have their name down with us and, and just be, you know, giving us that direct debit and, and signing our petitions when we ask. You know, those, those members are fantastic. 
And that was my intention was to just sort of, you know, do my bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, I live in Highgate and Highgate was an area where we were trying to get councillors elected and they needed people to stand in the election that followed the, the year when I joined. And it just was very random that I actually was happened to be living in this particular area. But yeah, they asked me if I wanted to stand because they'd seen my campaigning. That I, I was doing that the two things separately. Mm. I said, yeah, would you stand for council? And I nearly won that year um, because the people before me had done so much work to try to get councillors elected. Right. And because my name begins with B and I'm near the top <laughs> of the ballot paper, <laughs> I was actually, I got the highest vote of the three Green candidates in the ward at the time and was only 40 votes away from being elected the first time I stood, which was quite, so that gave me the bug basically. Once you nearly win something, you really do want to win it eventually. <laughs> but that takes a whole level of confidence, I think, that one of the members of my Knackered Mums Club, Claire, and I'm hoping she's gonna come and um, join us for the Q&A at the end. She's, she stood for um, election in the elections, was it? Last year or the year before, I can't remember. Everything's blurred into one, hasn't General it? Election. Yeah, I think yes, she a did. Year and a bit ago, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I would be absolutely terrified to do that because when you go to the, they do these hustings and things, don't they? And I think, God, I could be asked about any policy at all, and I would basically have no clue. So I, I, you know, I automatically, I'm like, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that because I would just be there and be going, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, how do you? How do you even cope oh, that kind of experience? <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things there. I mean, the things you need to know are not that much. A lot of com a lot of politics is common sense. Mm. You know, I mean, what should we? What well, it should, should be, shouldn't it? <laughs> <Yes>. Sadly, it <laughs> is. Well, you know, if you've got if you've got value system and you've joined the party and you you know you've signed up to the, the policies, um, the principles that lie behind green green policies are so clear. You don't have to know all the facts. You can mm -hmm. still answer on principle based on right. your knowledge and your common sense and the thing about you know that hustings question is men and I'm going to be a little sexist now <laughs> men are brought up to believe that their opinions are valuable yes. so what I just said is you know based on what you already know and your you know your expertise as in you know you're signed up to a party and you know that they've got a manifesto mm -hmm. they are trained to believe that their sort of ad hoc opinions based on a few things are totally valuable mm -hmm. and the thing is every, every that's true of everybody our opinions as women as greens um you know whatever viewpoint you have you're entitled to make your point and mm -hmm. but that's what democracy is all about people have the right to stand put forward their point of view and for it to be tested against the public's mm -hmm. crosses in boxes so that's your that's your role as a, as a green candidate you know you're not necessarily um, going to win in every single place if you are trying to win that's that's you know that's a bigger thing you you, you have a campaign team and you're mm. really you're really going to every door all the time there's a whole load of other things to do but if you're standing to be part of democracy to be the candidate who represents that point of view to give everybody the chance to put their cross in the box you're an ordinary person putting your name forwards you stand for something and your your opinions your ability to just say well this is what I think about this question mm -hmm. that you just asked me is you're totally entitled to do that and men are just like trained to have that yeah. entitlement from birth and we all have to sort of capture it and channel it but look at the look at the success of, of women politicians now around the world when we actually get into power yes that's more down to earth more questioning way yes. of leadership, more collaborative, you know. I think I know the answer, but I'm going to talk to my colleagues and I'm going to talk to the other parties. Yeah. 
the thing about that there's Jacinda Ardern who's the absolute pinup for mm. the, the the prime minister of New Zealand um she she had to form a government with other parties the last time she formed a government they've got PR there so that's quite common so um, PR she, just for people who don't um, proportional representation okay. so yeah. you get the right amount of MPs for your votes um so she she didn't have a majority that's last time she had to work with the greens so she made a government where no one party was just sort of deciding what to do mm -hmm. it was it was a collaboration between different parties and that was such a, a grown-up and successful and you know thoughtful way of governing that even though she did win a majority in the most recent election she still wanted to bring greens into the government so mm -hmm. we still have ministers in the greens from the greens in in new zealand oh, wow. who are part of the government with labor even though they could make their government on their own yeah and I, that's that's just yeah that's just really good and i think that comes out of being a woman so it's not not genetic but it's to do with the conditioning that you have yes. as women, um in society in a really positive way to um to check that that, that what's coming out of your head isn't necessarily right and i think that's <laughs> the absolute opposite of of how boris johnson thinks boris johnson yeah. thinks he's had an idea that it must be right and yes. should be done. and we've seen the failings of that with the current coronavirus situation yeah, you can't yeah, yeah. beat something as just by asserting yourself you have to work collaboratively listen to the experts at different points of view test test your theories because if you get it wrong the the consequences are disastrous yeah and you mentioned the Green Party manifesto. Can you summarise that in like two <laughs> sentences or something? Like what, what does the Green Party stand for? I think in our heads, we all think we know what it stands for. Is it about more than green stuff? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so the, the important principle here is that we believe that social justice and environmental justice and um, human rights and freedom, actually, those sort of three aspects of things are, are indivisible. We can't have environmental justice around the world unless we also fix the economic system that drives down the global south, that, that privileges um, the former colonial powers. So all that stuff about Black Lives Matter and needing to, to re-examine our past, it really does boil down to this, this, this principle of social justice and environmental justice being the same thing. And that, and that works on a, on a UK level as well so you might assume that we just want to to completely tax everything that is ungreen mm -hmm. and, and that would be our only policy you know that would that would be all we would do but actually we spend a lot of time thinking about the fact that that people on lower incomes at the moment the way things are organized it's harder to be green it can be more expensive mm. to do things like make your house energy efficient mm. so when we in the general election what falls out of that principle is we announced we were going to spend hundred billion pounds a year on fixing problems in the economy to do with carbon, but they were all going to be things that, that helped increase equality, help reduce the living costs of people, um, particularly on low income. So fixing everybody's homes, um, making public transport cheaper or free mm -hmm. and all of those kinds of things that, that make it the easiest and cheapest thing to do to be green. And so none of the things that we would do would increase um, inequality or make it more difficult to live on a low income. And those are really, really important principles. The cynic in me says it's really easy as a party at the moment that, you know, has one MP and that, you know, realistically at the moment, the chances of coming into power are very small. Like, it's really easy to go, oh, we'd spend 100 billion on this. Like, 
how does that get paid for? Well, that was exactly that. That was that was like obviously the first question we were expecting. Governments aren't like our own household budgets, you know. Governments, but governments effectively create money, um, and all you have to be able to do is say at a government level that this pays off. And one of the things, I mean, obviously, you know, you have to sort of balance the books according to the accounting rules, but you're able to do that if you look at the wider benefits. So the wider benefits of spending all that money on making our homes more efficient is that our homes are also healthier to live in. They're not damp, they're not cold, they don't overheat in summer, things that cause ill health and death. So at a national level, you can justify that and you can literally find the money saved yeah, yeah, yeah. in the future budgets from taking that action and we don't put economic growth as our main target and, and so so we don't really take that as very important but it is possible it's entirely possible to monetize the benefits of taking green action mm. so things like walking and cycling they will help reduce pollution and you can put a health benefit on that and from mm. that follows um, a money benefit, a saving to the NHS or whatever. And the same goes for the amount of exercise that you do if you, it's easier to walk and cycle. Just a little bit of extra exercise just as part of your daily travel actually has a huge health benefit mm. and reduces early deaths, reduces disabilities as they get older, the healthy life years are increased and there's a monetary benefit you can mm. put on. So yeah, we were able to, to make a really well worked out plan for why borrowing 100 billion pounds a year for 10 years to get us to zero carbon would pay back in fact you know yeah. it starts to pay back within a couple of years because the, the the air pollution benefits are fairly immediate wow. um the same goes for things like exercise they're they're, they're really really beneficial things mm. when you don't put money on them it starts to become so large the amount of monetary benefits that yeah. you get the economists turn around and go well, that can't be right. Yes, <laughs> that's, like, yes. that's the response you get from the Treasury is we can't put that number in. It's too big. Yeah, but yeah, if, yeah. If you look closely, it's a real number. It, there are so many benefits from just creating a healthier society. So I'm listening to you now and I'm thinking, right, like, I really want that. <laughs> and I'm sure probably lots of people are listening and thinking, OK, like that. And, and the frustration of like, how do we make that happen? How do we get more Greens in power? How does the Green Party reach a point where it, you know, it is actually kind of, you know, up there jockeying for position and looking like it, it could be a contender? I'm sure I'm not alone. You know, I live in a very Tory constituency. It's a very safe Tory seat. He's had it for years. You know, every time I email him, I get a little pat on the head and a, you know, off you run now, dear type um, response feels that there's no point in me you know I will diligently go and cast my vote and vote green and and but it changes nothing like how do we you know we talk about the, the power of our vote and we've got this power and stuff and then you just think it doesn't really make any difference and I'm sure a lot of people feel like that yeah we are stuck at the moment for, for the parliamentary elections there are so many people around the country whose their, their choice about how they vote really doesn't make a difference to what mm. MPs they get and that's and that's really really poor we're, we're part of a, a big campaign called make votes matter and it's really very much about the fact that so many people's choices they they count as in you know they all get added up in the end mm. across the national level and we know the vote shares of the parties at a national level so if, if the green vote share goes up people look and go well that's good I feel a bit of pressure now I might do some more policies mm. in terms of getting MPs elected the system isn't it isn't right we need mm -hmm. a proportional system absolutely 
but certainly at other levels of government the greens do really we're doing really well at a council level a council is first past the post but i was talking earlier about the fact there were three people being elected when i was so you elect three yes. councillors often at once so there a lot of people are prepared when they've got three x's to put onto the boxes they will give at least one of those votes to the Greens. So we get Greens elected in council seats. The year before last now, in 2019, we doubled our number of councillors in one night. So we've been been growing as a party for quite a while now. We had a big surge of members um, around 2015, and that's not really gone away, although it goes up and down with the Mm. seasons and and with how how much people are feeling about politics in general. But we've still, we've got a, orders of magnitude more members than we used to say 10 years ago yeah and those members are working hard in local areas to win those council seats and it like I said, it's much easier to win a council seat and, it, and we've been very successful at that and the success of it is starting to become exponential so we now run brighton council again um we are in joint administrations in 18 councils in total working with other parties in a very you know the way that we like to do and there's there's a good chance we will take control of, of more councils in in that in the way that we'll be the leading party, um, like we and are. How in- does that? I I'm very naive about politics, and and it confuses the hell out of me. So obviously we vote for our national uh, in our in our national elections, and then you've been referring to local councils and things. What what do local councils do? How much influence can they have on local environmental policies, and also I guess on that sort of upwards push to to change national strategy, like. How important is it that our local councillors are? Um, it it is board? really important. So, um, I mean, we've had, we, as you said, we're, we're running Brighton Council now, and we did before. When we when we ran Brighton Council before, we we won awards as a council for things like our transport policies. There was the chance because we have our hands on the lever of power, levers of power, for us to do some genuinely transformative things at a local level. Um, somewhere like Stroud, which is a much smaller place, obviously. <laughs> um, but there they've been Greens, strong on the council and, and running the council, been Green mayors of Stroud, loads of ties. Molly Scott Cato, who was oh. an MEP for us, she used to be the mayor of Stroud. And there, that you know, Stroud, is, Stroud was like the first carbon neutral place, effectively. Um, in Bristol, we've got strong Greens, and they were the first people to declare a climate emergency. Mm. And that cascaded straight up to government. So within you know months, the government was doing the same. And it came from councils all over the country with different parties all voting for yeah. the same thing. So the influence you can the influence that local government can have on national government is clear, but also the difference that it makes to your daily lives. Councils run, I mean, it depends on different areas. So some areas have county councils that run things and then districts. Mm-hmm. And some areas have just districts where, yeah. where within each area everything is run. Yeah. Basically, they run schools, transport, all the recycling and, and waste is done through the local authorities, mm-hmm. green spaces, a lot of planning decisions about where to put homes, things like the local plan, whether or not you mm. build a big sprawling estate and a bypass, or you build homes that are closer to the railway stations, yeah. how you organize the streets for the cycle lanes all of that is Mm. led I mean government has obviously some funding uh roles in that and and there are some things that councils find it really hard to do because they're starved of cash Mm -hmm. often the the way you spend money the way you spend the budget budgets you already have those decisions are made at a local level so greens in the council can make a huge difference Uh, okay yeah yeah so so obviously we can vote nationally we can vote 
um, in local elections and then also there's like town council elections and stuff as well aren't there yeah yeah that's a t- what I was talking about with Strada, that's a town council so oh, okay so they don't run very much but what they do run they've done in a super green way and they've managed to get lots of like solar and and and, and amazing sort of streets and they're just yeah there's a very very green council in terms of resources because they yeah. really and then of course there's there's the the mayors now we've got this other thing where I mean I'm running for mayor of London and we've had the London Assembly for 20 years that's been there for a long time but other big sort of urban areas and the sort of conurbations in the north are now getting these metro mayors Mm. you'll have seen Andy Burnham he's the the mayor of greater Manchester which is the sort of 10 boroughs around Manchester yeah all lumped together and then he has powers there slightly different to the London powers but similar he runs the transport for Greater Manchester um he has money to spend on housing which is a very powerful thing that we do in London is we spend money on new housing Mm. and we have our own planning rules so there's that level and those mayors are elected under a a system a bit like the French president um where you vote one and then two so you vote oh okay yeah and somebody in the end has to win more than 50%. So that's the election I'm standing in. And last time in the 2016 elections, I stood for mayor and I got the most first preference, so most second preferences of any oh, okay. candidate. So lots of people put um, Sadiq Khan first or, or sometimes that Goldsmith first. And the most people put me second. So I'm trying to flip that this yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good because I, you know, we know what people voted second. So we're not guessing there. We know yeah. that there's people out there who, who would who would quite like me to be mayor and we just need to turn them into people who really want me to be mayor and put me first. And then with the London Assembly's proportional system, so people write down which party they want and the party seats get distributed completely. Uh, okay. yeah. yeah. It is really complicated, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, like, one of the things that frustrates me is, like, why is it so complicated? When a lot of what you said, and you said at the very beginning, politics is just common sense, a lot of what you've said is common sense, and it strikes me that the Green Party is around fairness, and maybe, again, I'm just naive. I can't see many people arguing with that. Like, how can you argue that it's wrong to to create a fair and more equal society? But yet, why, why doesn't that translate into votes and bums on seats in Parliament and I mean, you guys must feel that frustration even more, but like, you know, it's just like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you know, obviously we should have a green government in my point, in my view. Um, But obviously, you know, there's there's tradition and the bigger parties are traditionally seen as um, more realistic winners. Mm. And there's a lot of what goes on in, in our system that's about the horse race. When you get, when you have elections, a lot of the things that come through your door have like bar charts on and go, that you know can't win here and things mm, like that mm. and I you know I don't like that I think in a really proportional system none of that matters um you wouldn't need to have a single word on an election leaflet about who can win mm. under, a, under a really fair system and all the words could be about our vision and, and what we want and the, and the fact is you know we've seen during coronavirus how much things can change in a short time yeah. the idea that we couldn't have done some of the things that we've been calling for for years like like you know really switch to green energy quicker mm. really sort out our homes really transform our, our transport systems um invest in railways instead of new roads all of these things could have been done they're mm. different to what we've done before but in a good way mm. in a way that's common sense and is entirely realistic and i think people are starting to realize how much things can change and that you've got a choice but if you don't act, you know, sometimes events will come and expose the fact that you've neglected equality or mm, you've neglected, 
um, you know, particular groups who are now struggling extremely badly because of coronavirus. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's exposed some of the failings of, of our previous system, as well as showing how much things can change in a short time when they have to. So I think people might be more up for people like us who are arguing for you know, dramatic changes, yeah. real information in how we organise things. So as things stand, we've got a Tory government and they fought out this 10 point plan at the end of last year, didn't they, for a green recovery? I mean, there's a lot of argument about whether or not it's enough, but it's what we've got at the moment. So how do we make sure they actually do those things and they do them in the timescales that are needed, as opposed to, you know, declaring a climate emergency and then saying it's OK to open another coal mine? Like how how do we make sure that it isn't just words and hot air and that actually these things happen and change because it feels so important. But we're where we are now with this government and we kind of have to push them, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, it is it isn't enough, but at least it is a step. Mm. in the right direction and it's a small one um and i think that the danger is with things that come from the top down and by government is they can announce say you know 200 million pounds for something um that's green and that sounds impressive but it like i said with the 100 billion we were talking mm. about you know that it isn't going to go very far yeah. and what i think what's followed from the councils declaring the climate emergencies is there are lots of networks in local areas now who were part of campaigning for the climate emergency to be declared who wanted citizens assemblies who are still mm. um, part of a group that is the green groups in a particular area and the thing to push for i think is looking at a local level at how what needs to change at mm. our local level and how much money investment that requires what benefits that will bring and I think by each local area thinking about it in that kind of detail, the kind of detail that really does come down to how your street is mm. set up and organised and what's going on in your own council homes or your own care homes or what, whatever needs sorting out, is that when all that's added up, that will show what the government needs to do. So they shouldn't be able to get away with claiming that their mini projects are going to solve everything. Mm. So I think is the, the multi-level stuff that I, I've been talking about in terms of elections I think is really important when it comes to climate action we have to be thinking locally because things in the end the things that need to change to solve climate chaos are in every street in every town um you know in every school in every hospital in every mm. home so making sure that we're, we're working locally to to try and make changes happen locally but also adding up what needs to happen locally that then will will filter upwards and, and and expose that the gaps in what the government's doing, and then I think they'll inevitably have to to fill them in. They'll have to keep putting more money in because we'll have used it all up very very mm. quickly. And obviously, as an individual, you decided to go down the the kind of political and the campaigning route to be the change that you want to see. And there's always this argument that I get sort of thrown at me when I'm talking about individual changes and the the value that they have of you know well there's no point doing individual stuff unless because we need policy change and things and like where do you stand on that where do you think you know if we've got a limited amount of time and energy where do we put that do we put it into politics and local politics and campaigning or do we put it into sorting out our own house first or ideally both like it's, what? Both. it's <laughs> obviously it's both yeah I mean that's the thing I've written all these books about how to be greener mm. Um, and there are some things that, that that you can do, like literally individually to make a difference. Mm. But there's an awful lot more things that you can do to make a difference 
um, if you work collectively in a local area. So I, I'm trying to think of a really good example. So something like community energy, for mm -hmm. example, um, you could put solar panels on your own home and that would be a good thing to do. Yeah. You could get together with your neighbours and all put solar panels on your roof and strike a, a slightly better deal, probably, right, yeah. with the energy companies if you formed a, a collective to do mm -hmm. that. If you teamed up also with the local school, which might have quite a lot of roof space, the, mm. the school that's next to me um, in my flat has like 180 solar panels on its roof, wow. um, due to mainly due to one of the staff wanting it and, and going and trying to organise it. And so you, if, you, if you start to team up then and you've got a community energy company, at some point you will find there are barriers. There are barriers like the, the planning rules because mm -hmm. people don't like, some people don't like how solar panels look. There might be barriers like the market. You, you, you go and try and strike a good deal to sell the energy to an energy company and you find that that's not right. Or you'll find that the grants you were able to claim have run out. You mm. see, and that's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, when, yeah. that's when the politics kicks in. But ultimately, I think, you know, any, anything that you do at a local level, particularly if it's teaming up with others on a, you know, on a personal friends getting together level mm. or that set up a community interest company kind of level, those are the really, really good things that need to be done. And from and, you know, talking about policy, the green policies are, when I talked about sort of human rights and social justice, we're also very much about democracy at the right level. Yeah. So our policies at a national level would be hundred billion pounds, but it wouldn't be hundred billion pounds being spent by like the state, the state Green New Deal department. It would all that money would cascade right down so that we're supporting lots of community initiatives with that with that money because we want decisions and power to be held at the right level. So we'd be wanting to make that happen. Yeah. If you're building it from the ground up, it's 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 also powerful because then you're you're an organized group and you've got a good story to tell of we got together, we're doing a good thing, but we've been stopped by this barrier and the policy needs to change. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How how do we as busy knackered overwhelmed ordinary people yeah, no, you're just, knackered with me talking about setting up a community energy juggling all these things out. like how do we how do we even sort of dip our toe in how do we get started in in sort of local politics or that kind of thing well I guess back to where we were at the beginning um you know your voice is also very powerful mm. so you know just being an advocate for things is a good thing you know yeah. word of mouth is incredibly powerful yeah so you know saying if you do something to change your own lifestyle for example um I don't know say you eat, eat less meat or something like that mm. that's a very good mm. thing you can do to cut down on the um your carbon impact um if you've got a great vegan recipe just go on about it you know that kind of advocacy is a really good thing to do and the same goes for like anything really. If you if you if you like what you've heard from me, go and tell someone that you heard the yeah. Green Party being sensible on the on the podcast. That's all good. That all helps helps to transform people's attitudes. Um, so again, with the four by fours, you know, we wanted people to feel empowered at the school mm -hmm. game in dinner parties. Quite honestly, yeah. to say to people, mm, you know, what car are you thinking of getting? I wouldn't get that car. I'd get a different car. I'd get yeah. a green car. So it's that, you know, your voice is really powerful and never be afraid to, one of the tips in my book is never be afraid to complain about things to companies either, particularly if you can do it in a, um, in a very rational way. Yeah. Because that's actually people who are um, supplying your services. If they're doing something wrong, if they're, um, you know, they're, waste, they're putting wasteful packaging on something mm. that you buy regularly, 
never be afraid to, to write in and go, I, I feel like your packaging ought to be different. Mm. They, actually, it's quite, you don't need to have a petition. Yeah. But if you can arrange for five people to write in, that's probably. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things, one of my sort of focuses for 2021 is trying to, to sort of reach out of the eco bubble and to, to sort of engage I don't like it shouldn't be ordinary people should it but like how do we sort of challenge some of these stereotypes I mean that you know Boris is is renowned for all these kind of green you know crunchy hippies and mung bean eating eco freaks like I I don't see myself as that I don't I don't see that as you know all the amazing women that are in my knackered mums eco club but we're just ordinary people worried about stuff and wanting to to make a difference how do we kind of share that with everyone else that you know you don't have to be this extreme eco-freak you can just be an ordinary person and still make a difference how do we you guys must must get that a lot I guess yeah I mean I mean essentially the answer is be an ordinary person yeah and advocate for it and again that's I mean I'm not I'm not I'm not saying I'm completely normal because I'm a politician <laughs> but I you know I did start out thinking that you know my my demographic I was very similar to a lot of people who were buying four by fours and therefore I would be a good person yes to, yeah to bet with them um and I think it's it's true the, the you know the the ordinary people who feel like this are the most powerful advocates for the cause um mm. so so yeah you don't have to be particularly sort of hippie-ish or whatever to, yeah. to, to make the argument in fact it's better if it's better if you're not if you're just a normal person so I love, you've got I any um... of what you're doing you know knackered mums eco club is exactly that's you know, we need everybody if we're going to change everything yeah <laughs> um so I guess just a, a final question is have you got any tips for us to help us be a bit braver having those conversations or sharing those things if it's on social media or you know tips around how to have those conversations in a very non-confrontational kind of encouraging way because I think a lot of us worry about either being judged or being um, seen to be judging other people or we worry about confrontation or we worry about you know I guess people just rolling their eyes and dismissing us um, you must have you know communication is part of what politicians do isn't it have you got any tips yeah. for us? So, I mean, constructive communication is often not trying to assert yourself as much as it is asking questions. Mm -hmm. So that would be my ultimate tip is, can you phrase what you're about to say as a question? Right. Um, you know, do you really think that that's the best thing to do? Yeah. <laughs> and then they get people to question themselves. We we are seeing a lot of division in, in society at mm. the moment, a lot of debates where it's, I'm completely right and you're completely yeah, wrong. Yeah. Often things are somewhere in between. So um, often more towards our end of things, obviously. Is the <laughs> but we, you know, we're not, we're not always going to be completely right. Um, and there may need to be adjustments and nuances and, and things like that. So making sure that we're listening and asking mm. questions is the best way to begin listening. So I would say, you know, yeah, that phrase, phrase what you're doing as a question, especially if it's like an online thing. Yes. Or, you know, I'm not sure that's completely right. You can you can definitely take the sting out of debate by not simply being confrontational. Yeah. But I think also painting a vision of the future that's that's positive. Mm. 
um, wouldn't it be better if it could be like this? Yeah. The really nice way of talking. I mean, that's, that's essentially what the Green Manifesto is. Wouldn't it be better if yes. <laughs> we valued everybody and we didn't do this? And we, yeah, 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 so yeah. I think those are, those are, those are my tips for... Yeah, and I love your points earlier about that, that sort of advocacy for the changes that you're making and, and just the really simple things. And it's something we've all been trying to do in the in the clubhouses to encourage each other to be sort of braver, just sharing stuff on social media, just exactly as you said, oh, like I'd made this meal last night. I didn't even realize it was vegan. And actually the kids ate it. Like, is you know, if anybody else wants to have a go or um, God, I had a nudge to change my energy supplier and I've actually saved some money. And because I think the more of us kind of normal, the more people we see that are doing these things, the more mainstream and normal it becomes. and the more we kind of, you know, especially if it's people that we associate with and we think, oh, they, you know, they're like us and I can do that too. I think it's really, really powerful. Yeah, no, completely. Um, so yeah, mung beans, what are they? Because <laughs> I'm not even sure I know. Are they, are they the bean, are they the lentils, the sort of bean-like lentils that are in the dishoom dal? You know, the one I'm talking about, the one they cook for like 24 hours. We're all going to have to go away and, and Google. I think beans. that's one of the most famous delicious dishes in the country. <laughs> that's made of mung beans. Quite. Early. I think Boris Johnson is, he's not in step with the world. That's what he's having a go at. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, it's been so lovely to speak to you and just your enthusiasm and your optimism and people on the podcast won't be able to see, but you've just been kind of smiling and lit up the whole time which I think is it can be really easy to get kind of worn down and and beaten down by what's going on at the moment and and thinking about the future and stuff but you seem to have a very optimistic outlook which I love yeah I mean that is my job um, <laughs> I'm really glad we are talking about what's happening at the other end of the other side of the Atlantic at the moment because yes. that's unbelievably depressing mm. but there's so much to hope for I think at the moment in the country and there's, there's a lot of good ideas out there that just need a few more people being enthusiastic about them. So yeah, yeah if, you're, if you're willing to help, that's, that's brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely brilliant. You've been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time. Bye.